That's, um, that's pretty much what we all, how we all deal with this. So, uh, welcome everyone to Fallout Podcast, episode 26, uh, aka The Realm of the Essence of Tongue. It's a fall aggregation, all 525 songs in an announcement of Crucial Master, uninterrupted and injured into four habitations, circa 7785. 8693, 94 to 2001, and 2002 to the end. Tonight, uh, Joker hysterical face up against Bombast. Shift work is having a, a tussle with war. Dr. Buck's letter against Cheetah Hill and Touchy Pad against Contraflot. Joined, as always, by Michelle Pippington Beehard, stray dog pack leader and classically trained panpipe enthusiast. How are you, Philip? I'm, uh, you know, just dealing with the full moon in Taurus, mate. That's uh, that's where I'm at this moment in time. Sometimes it's all you can do, isn't it? Lord Sage Temple, the smoothest man. Is your vest still snug? It's terrifically snug. Beautiful. And a Pemberton Walker, a carbon reduction gambit via broken boiler. Oh, no, I'm uh, increasing my, uh, my carbon footprint with a fixed boiler nowadays, uh, but I'm... Um, Good news, I've just had a nice relaxing poo, so I'm all ready to go. Oh, good. Good to know that. Uh, Tim3, a.k.a. DJ formerly known as Dead John Peel, tipsy on rhubarb punch. Is he joining us tonight, Philip, from the other he's, side? Uh, I think he's, he's just staggered into the room, to be honest with you. Uh, beautiful. And myself, Three Beards, the host, Caesar Bernays, Hollandais and Aioli. And even better than all that, we're joined by a special guest, uh, Mr. Paul Vickers, Mr. Twonky from the world of rock and roll and comedy, and I'm very, very pleased that uh, he's with us this evening. How are you, Paul? I'm good, I'm good. I don't have one of those elaborate names. Are they supposed to be like fall names? I don't know. I don't know where they came from, but really, we, we get a bit nervous at the beginning, so we're kind of padding it out until we kind of all settle all down. Right, a bit. Okay. If, yeah. we, if we start at the beginning, it's just a lot of errs, uh, well, uh, so, you know, we're taking a long run in. Paul, what is your kind of uh, history or love of the fall as both a fan and as a fellow indie rock traveller, if that's not an offensive term? Oh, that's a nice term. Um, well, my friend Roger, who I started a band with, uh, Dawn of the Replicants, was a massive fall fan, but like I didn't, and he inducted me into the fall. He used it as a hangover cure, and there was a thing that he used to do, where he, well, we called it the fall lectures, which would always happen after a big night out, and it would be the next morning, and then he'd go through his extensive fall collection and highlight points of interest along the way. And sometimes you didn't realise it was happening, you know, you'd sort of, you'd be half hung over, and then you'd realise that you were actually getting the fall lectures, and I got them several times. I mean, they weren't easy, you know, it wasn't about being easy. Um, and you had to listen because it was always like important points. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, multiple quizzes and questions along the way just to see how many times the cowburns come back. Yeah, well, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, yeah, no, it felt like that, it felt like that, but it was, it was, you know, I remember him sort of saying, listen out in this track, you'll hear, he'll say, what is it, E, you're a good lad, here's a pound note, you know, <laughs> I can't remember what song that is, but uh, you had to listen really carefully because, 
you know, you can't hear the words a lot of the time when fallout. No. Distressing. You, so we had we had a brief chat on the social media network. You did mention a, a running or a time you spent with Mikey Smith. Now was that real or was that a dream time? No, no. Well, he used to he used to stay at the Columbia Hotel. Like bands on the way up and on the way down or whatever would stay at the Columbia Hotel. So you get an odd mix of people there. You get sort of, um, well, Arab Strap or Mogwai and sort of bands like us coming down um, from Scotland. And then you would get people like Fish from Marillion and Genesis P. Orange. And then you get the mix of like some of the Pogues, Kerris from Catatonia, Kate Moss sometimes, things like that. So it was a real odd mix. And then amongst that, there was one night where Arab Strap had done a gig with Fall at the Dingwalls, I think it was. And we came in and they were already like, Aidan Moffat was kind of holding court. And Marky Smith was very quiet, didn't say anything at all. And I thought, this he looks like he's going to explode. It looks like something's going to happen, you know. And in fairness, like, the Arab Strap were being a bit twatty because they were like drinking with Marky Smith. So they are kind of a bit full of themselves. And then finally, he, he tipped like you don't even know you're born you know i remember doing gigs in manchester when there wasn't even a fucking stage yeah i remember thinking i'm glad i didn't get involved (laughs) 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 because it was was quite visceral what you could work out of what he was saying just a bit like being shouted at by a a madman in a Beautiful. And in terms of, you know, I've had another listen recently to the Dawn of the Replicant stuff and some of the legs stuff. And is any, would you say the Falls had much of an influence on that side of things? I think so. I mean, the Falls one of those ones that's kind of like a sort of, it's an even spread among over everything. I mean, there's, there's, the thing that I like best about the Fall is, is when he gets excited about something, you know, um, it's often something quite mundane. Like I was saying about that country, I can't remember which song it is, but the one where he's going at, I love the, the countryside so much. I love the country folk so much. You know, I like it when he, he, he just suddenly decides he's really enthusiastic about something. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and I, I find that quite amusing because a lot of the time it's much more late than that. And sometimes it's just like sort of, you know, my friends don't add up to one hand or whatever, for example. It's, it looks like he's just like counting his hand and going, I've actually got quite a lot of friends. You know, I need two hands to count them all, you know, exactly. and things like that. So he's, he's, he, I like him when he's like that. I like him when he sort of takes you by surprise or he doesn't want to go to Pittsburgh direct, you know. And you, <laughs> or, you know, it's like just looking at a, a timetable and sort of thinking, I don't want to go there. <laughs> and that's the song, you know, it's just good. There's a couple yeah. of ones where he does it, where he's just gleeful. There's one called Bastardo and it's basically, you can tell they've done a cover and then he, they've stopped and he's just carried on. And he's more excited yeah. by taking the piss out of the people in the studio and, and being silly than he is uh, about singing this cover that uh, he'd forced the band to learn. And there's a few yeah. moments like that along the way where you can just see the glee and then and then he's back back to the coal face and the next song. Yeah, well, it is a very joyful thing. And also, he was quite elf-like. He was quite, sort of, you know, quite a slender man at the start. You forget that side of him because you get used to just imagine, remember him as, as quite a drunken, sort of angry character. But um, which he was towards the end, but I think um, you know, and he started to become a bit of a Brexiteer and all those kind of things, and um, started to become a bit dubious. But he was always a bit dubious, you know. I, th- I, th- I think people sort of. 
nowadays they are not allowed to have characters as, as as public personalities anymore. But I mean, you know, they, that was a good thing about the old days, if you like, because you would have people like Morrissey and Julian Cope and all those people who were very opinionated, and you know, their views weren't always in line with what you like or you know. So it's um, I don't know. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm watching a lot of like music television at the moment because I'm looking after people with cerebral palsy. And it's the first time I've watched it for years. And the main thing that I picked up is that bands don't happen anymore. People aren't interested in bands. Because there's all, as far as I can work out, if you watch music television now, there's only two bands. And that is um, Coldplay and a little bit of The Killers. Yeah, and yeah. then there's no other bands. No other bands. And like the last time I watched it was when we were in the studio with the replicants where I watched a lot of it. There was loads of bands. You know, it was full of bands. made me wonder if like the band is dead. And what has replaced it is so kind of hookers, really. <laughs> Hopefully, I mean that's for me. That's a, that's a great leap forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how that's how things have progressed. You know, I mean, maybe bands are boring. You know, who wants to look at Noddy Holder? Not a lot of people. Take <laughs> <laughs> a long hard look at himself, and um, yeah. all right. So let's launch into the first couple of songs because what we've done here is we've tried to spread them out through the four kind of eras of the fall, so we get a good kind of like range of some of the earliest stuff and some of the latest stuff. And Phil, do, right. do you mind uh, hitting us with Joker hysterical face? <laughs> Nothing ever changes. This is suddenly true of the polyocracy. The sweetest sounds we have ever heard was a whinging and crying tune. Session. About to be looking close enough. She had a choker historical face. Philip, I'm coming to you first because we had a chat this week and I know that you have nothing but love for this song. You were going to drop on me first. I can sense it. Right. Overall, this tune is a fucking glorious din, to be honest with you. And I, I, the more that I've listened to it, the more that the, the really solid bits of this tune have, have, have really grown to love. There's some amazing guitar fills in it. There's some great technique that's being done. About 20 odd seconds in, you've got really noisy, dissonant breaks going on. But it's, it's that opening riff that I just, I really struggle with. And I was just talking to, <laughs> I was talking to my nine-year-old before and I said, doesn't this sound like a kids' program's about to come on? And she spent five seconds listening to it. Went, yeah, yeah, it does. And it's it's a bit Roger and Freddie that opening riff. And I think that's why I've changed my opinion a lot about Room to Live because I used to throw a lot of shade on it when we first started this, but it's really grown on me as an album. But that opening riff, that opening gambit on the first song of the album, it just turns me off. I think by the time you get to the end of the song, when they're layering the music on top of each other. It, there's bits that work with it where it sort of contrasted against that really scratchy guitar stuff that's going on, which is is gorgeous and I love. But it's just that dawdly annoying dunga 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 dunga. Hello, children. I I I really struggle with that bit with this song, but everything else I think is great. And the other thing I was going to say is about the lyrics as well. I don't really say much about the words, but there's. 
I saw an interpretation of this song where it was on about Mark not being very positive about having kids and all that kind of stuff. But that isn't the way I, I heard this song at all. It sounded to me much more like, um, and I, I can't remember if this is where they were living near the, the um, psychiatric hospital, but it, it did strike me that there's a, a lot of stuff in there that you could interpret like that. about Because the, the, the reference about two striking kids is in the back of her head. And there's no actual concrete references to any of that stuff. It all feels to me quite abstract and, uh, you know, somebody struggling internally with stuff. But it's like a 7 out of 10 song for me, this. it's I think a lot of it works, but that fucking dawdly riff at the start just pisses me off. Noted. Alistair, <laughs> uh, what does this song do for you? Well, I really like the uh, uh, God Jen and Freddie riff, uh, so fuck off, Phil. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's got a nice, like, sort of um, steady, strolling kind of beat to it. Uh, do you like the discordant guitars over the top of it? It just sounds like somebody's trying to sabotage it. I mean, you know, I've been listening to it this week. It, it's I did find myself sort of bopping around the kitchen to uh, it. There's it, lyrics in it. It's a bit where it starts going, your face. Says that like quite a lot, yeah. Oh, that's what we were saying. That was a really great insult, you know, in the, the kind of uh, your mum kind of way. But yeah, really like it. Top tune, even if it reminds Phil of Rod, Jen, and Freddie. And yeah, I could rely on you, Alistair. Paul, what's this? Uh, what does this one do for you? Are you a fan of this track? Yeah, it's a good one. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's all about the the kind of riff of the thing. It's got a good feeling to it. It sort of grinds along. A good middle hitter, I would say. I like nice, it. Nice, nice, nice. Ezra, how about you? Are you a fan of Joke Hysterical Face? Well, I'm, I'm in accordance with Phil here. The, the riff is just really not the kind of riff that gets me wanting to hump the furniture. I mean... <laughs> I do wish that I'd thought of Rod, Jane and Freddie because I'd probably like the song twice as much as I do. But what I actually thought was, fucking hell, this sounds like Oasis covering Blur. And that's just a nightmare. But yeah, you know, listening to this, normally, as you know, I, I kind of like research the lyrics and stuff. But I was drunk and decided I was just going to write down what I heard. What I heard, and I don't know if this is what's sung in the song. Sad Rogers, brains burn in hell, beyond perfume, the hi-fi was misplaced turn the radio on and get the mayonnaise out which I thought was really fucking great lyrics so well it's that, that great. that's pretty much spot on I'm pretty sure that's what he was singing yeah Mark Riley apparently wrote the riff I, I really love that kind of uh wonky kind of guitar riff no matter how it has been dismissed by other people in the room i think that's one of its strengths but i do like this kind of like cheesy right on the edge thing it reminded me of um it's interesting you said blown away it reminded me of shed seven a band who, who for some reason i had a soft spot for but um uh, that's not usually seen as a positive by most people so um they basically were oasis covering blue weren't they yeah they were they were uh, <laughs> they were not a top tier band but um they say nothing ever changes which is certainly true of the polyocracy they've only we had a, a sociology professor in the room to explain polyocracy to us i just assumed her name was polly that he was singing about and it was just a play on that probably and the uh with the mayonnaise and everything. Shut up, you striking kids. Striking. Striking's a great word, isn't it? <laughs> what does uh, Tim 3 think about that, Philip? Well, he's, uh, he's gurgled through the rhubarb punch, naughty and shambolic, and that guitar and bass riff in unison is to die for. That said, I think it's one of the weaker songs on the album while still being a belter of a track. I also love the fast drum sort of guitar solo break that pops up in the chorus. Good. 
Good. And uh, yeah, the, this the shrieking Mez on the last chorus, Al, I think that's what you were talking about when he starts sh- basically shrieking your face over and over again, which is uh, beautiful. Yeah, could you give us a blast of bombast, Phil? Who mind and title themselves, and whose main and title is themselves, shall feel the wrath of my bombast. What did you make of Bombast from uh, This Nation's Saving Grace, 1985? Yeah, it's all right. I think it's kind of, uh, like, for 1985, I think it it sounds about 10 years at a time. Um, You know, like, when you... It sounds like a more edgy kind of Brit-poppy type thing. But it's a bass-led, only the bombastic bass monkey taking the lead on that one. Nice, minimal, but effective drums. Top fill at the end of it. All the feedback and the squeals are uh, absolutely beautiful. It's just that the noise stuff that there should have been more of that in there. In, in my opinion, it could have made it a little less bland because uh, there is a blandness to it. Very repetitive, very minimal. It's okay, but it's a solid riff. Aye, Ezra, what's this do for you? Bombast. I don't know if the National Trust put blue plaques on songs or not but if they did this song would absolutely deserve it because it's where we hear the first of the uh, mystical land of Baghdad covered in a few other fall songs and as a concept I love it the song itself seems to be lacking something and it's strange because it's got all the ingredients that I'd be looking for in this kind of fall song it's got a really nice kind of bass part it's got some righteous noise it's got some nice lyrics but there's just like something that doesn't quite get there for me i do love the uh, opening lines when he's like all those who mind entitle themselves and whose main end title is themselves shall feel the wrath of my bombaxed bazdad inclining in my heart and it's great and you know i'm really interested to kind of like get to the bottom of these uh, these thorny thorny words and find out exactly what the fuck it is he's getting at. I'm, I fear I never shall, but it's not a song without merit. Mm, I see, I see. Paul, what about this one for you? Did you uh, do you know this one? Is this a, a favourite? Well, I like that album, This Nation Saving Grace. I think it's one of my favourite albums, um, particularly because of um, Paintwork and the other one, my, my New House. Is that on that record? Yeah, yeah, that's on that one. Yeah. So just the, the contrast of sort of him, you know, he does up his house and then in the next song he's like really excited about it. <laughs> 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 like I said, I like those ones where it sort of like, seems unusually positive. Yeah. This, this one, I think he's sort of taking a swing at the aristocracy or, or, um, or something. A bit like Spoilt Victorian Child or something like that is how I take it. But, but I don't, I, to me it's like a sort of one of those songs where you know, sometimes at the start of an album, you have a song that's kind of like has the template of things you're going to experience, but it's not like the highlight or anything like that. To me, it's a bit like that. It's kind of like a sort of one that you kind of brush over, but it's 
you know, it's, it's, it's I don't think it's anyone's favourite fall song, but it's it's not a bad one, certainly. Yeah, they, they played it a lot live. There's a bunch of versions of them playing it on like MTV and, and things. And um, yeah, like with Paintwork and My New House, it's like just some small thing that's happened in his life, whether it's getting, uh, you know, uh, his, his room painted or picking up his mate or uh, the woman downstairs shouting at her kids. That's enough for a song. We were saying one last week because he's, he's got one that about a fat lad pushing a pram. It's, it's obvious he was just stood at his front window having a fag and he just saw this and he thought, oh, that'll do. And then went, went in the studio and recorded it. That is nice. Phil, what's, uh, what's this one do for you? I, I know the album pretty well, but yeah, it is one of them songs that you sort of, it's like the, the middle stone of a path across the river. You just kind of skip over it, don't you, in, in terms of listening to the album. So giving it a bit of time was interesting. I, I think it suffers a bit because for me, because the production's just a bit flat. And it's, I was trying, who, who produced the, um, who produced this session? Seven Grounds. It's still John Leckie. He did those, Leckie, those yeah. three. I just I thought the production was just a bit flat in it, really. But it reminded me of something, and it's been bugging me all week what it reminded me of. And then I, I, I this morning it came to me. It's like a mid-period can track, or like a later sort of period can track. So I was I was having a re-listen to um, to a couple of those uh, later albums, and the first track on landed, "Full Moon on the Highway." very very similar to this and i was i was quite tempted to blend when when i was fading that track out to blend in the other one just so you could hear how similar it is and i think listening to it as the fall do later cam is it makes a bit more sense that that production style with the record and the way that everything's laid on top of each other it's not so it's not a favorite but it's it's not bad it's just of a peculiar ilk, I think. Thinking of it like a can song like Skents, because I, I was saying to you, I couldn't grab onto anything. It didn't seem like I have any kind of lead line or any hook or anything. It was just kind of going along and doing its business. But yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of can songs kind of Of do. that period. Of that later, so that later period, yeah. Alistair, how about you? Have you already said something about this? Yeah, yeah I've, said, I've said all I've got to say about it. Thank you very much, Brendan. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think you have. <laughs> well, well, we'll leave that anyway. We'll park that one for now. All right, fair enough. Um, what does what does Tim Three have to say? As he's clawed his way out of the sixth circle of hell, he is daubed. I've seen this song getting some stick in the chat this week, and I disagree. It's a classic, and would be a classic if it was only the bass line and Merck shouting in glee. I don't think it really has anything of substance to say, but I find it utterly joyful and infectious. I don't understand how anyone couldn't cheer dance to it. Cheer dance? No, that's not a thing. I don't know what's going on with chair? him. Is, that, is he trying to invent something there? He's just, it, it makes a glorious din at some points too. I think we need to have a word with him about his, uh, his prose though. No, not at all. Unacceptable. They should have done something about it a fortnight ago. They should have zapped the bastard when they had the chance. This is what Mark Smith apparently said about Saddam Hussein because he was claiming this was uh, another instance of his precog where he was talking about the Gulf War a few years before, but um, I don't know. This, it's noisy and it's dirgy, and like uh, Ezra was saying, it has all the elements, but, it, but, it, but none of it really does anything, sadly, for me. I wanted a bit more. Let's take a bit of a vote. Which one's going through? Are we putting Joker Hysterical Face or Bombast through? Alistair? Your face. Your face. Uh, Ezra? My heart's with the gleaming minarets of Bazdad, and I'm going with the blue plaque. Ooh la la. 
Philip? You know, Ezra's almost swayed me though, because it's, uh, I know it's controversial, but I do think that Saddam Hussein was kind of a jerk. Um, but I, I'm going to go with the, the burning of Ted Rogers in hell. Okie dokie. Uh, Paul, which one of these tickles your fancy the most? Do you have to pick one? Um, Sadly, one's got to go home. we got to send one home. Hysterical face is the one I like the best. Good, good. A, a good decision in my book. Uh, what does Tim 3 think, Phil? Bombast! Pulls through yeah. for me for being audacious and infectious. Well, I'm going with Joker hysterical face also. So Joker goes through. And that takes us on to our second lineup showdown of the evening, which is Shift Work off 1991's Shift Work LP uh, versus War off Middle Class Revolt 1994. Philip, if you don't mind, give us a blast of the song Shift Work. was the 90s there were synths involved mm. alistair coming to you this time there's no way out what about shift work it's quite a polite tune um i quite like the uh, the, the synth on there with the sort of like tremolo effects it reminded me a bit of uh, some can stuff or even some uh, spaceman 3 stuff um and it, it reminded me a bit of you know if you, if you ever get a, a jar and, and fill it with bees and shake it up and listen to them bit like that but you know anything that sounds like a jar of bees that's been shook up is you know it takes a lot of uh, boxes for me the uh, drop down bits on it with the bass remind me a bit of uh, relax by frankie goes to hollywood <laughs> for some reason and it well it get going back to the synthy organ thing it's a bit of a church organ kind of song sounding effects on it uh, which you know ticks boxes for phil so he might quite like that but yeah very polite often quite subtle nice i see nicey fancy's tickled Philip Rigby, what do you make of shift work? So I was, <clears throat> uh, I, I really like this. I really, really enjoyed it. It's uh, so I've, I, as I've said before, I've got two playlists that I bring together through doing going through all of these songs. One is um, Metal E. Smith, which is uh, all his adventures into into metal, and uh, Murky Soppy, which is uh, his his beautiful little ballads that just kind of pop out. And uh, this this went straight on there. I thought it was great. I thought it was dripping in pathos. The whole thing. It's 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 so evocative. And he just he just throws out these little bits of ideas, doesn't he? And you instant you're there in that world that he's creating. It's that line of she's she's ten to five, but I'm shift work. That's it. You, that's all you need to know. And you you're in that story now. You know exactly what's going on. And then. I, I, I know I've said this 15 times before, but it, this really, really just screams Serge Gainsbourg to me. It's that it's that cabaret sort of uh, melancholy of a, of a theme for a song 
like lamenting relationships that have disintegrated and um, the kind of blue collar and angle on it all. And the beautiful arrangement on it where shift work, which is like one of the grottiest things known to man, becomes this beautiful backing vocal that punctuates this, uh, this romantic or failed romantic story. I thought it was absolutely delicious, the whole thing. And it's, I, I, I know what you mean about the, um, the keyboards and stuff. It, it, another, this is another one songs where it reminded me of something. I couldn't quite put my finger on it until uh, the last couple of days. And I thought, yeah, this is like Serge Gainsbourg singing over a Deacon Blue song, isn't it? It's that, that sort of, and I, I don't mind Deacon Blue. I'm not saying that as a pejorative. It's, but it's got that light touch poppiness. I just, I thought it was great. I really, really liked it. Beautiful. I was trying to work out whether the shift work, the high-pitched bit was a sample. I think it might be, because there's no way Smith can be that consistent all the way through the song. <laughs> <laughs> putting the putting the words in the right place, in the right tune, no way. Mr. Twonky, what does, um, if you don't mind me calling you that, what does this song do for you? I, re- I really like this song. I think it's a, a classic, really. Um, I think it, it, it sort of emphasises all the things that are good about the fall in one song because it's it's a, it, the subject itself is something that no one else would write about. You're only going to get a song about shift work and how it interferes with a relationship from the fall, really. So in that sense, it's sort of like it's his area, you know. It's a really, it feels like what it feels like when you wake up early in the morning, you've got to go to work or you have to work through the night. It's sort of, it has that kind of driving kind of, let's just fucking get through this kind of. Um, but it also has that melancholy to it as well, where you, you, you know that you're doing yourself an injury or something is breaking. And I think the sort of the high pitch sort of falsetto vocal, um, it kind of reminds, weirdly, it reminds me of Michael Jackson because it's like the sort of um, off the wall album, stuff like that, where he's sort of, you know, I mean, his slant is more like people have to go to the disco, so can't be working all the time because I've got to go to the disco. So it's can't not be working quite... day and night. Yeah. <laughs> day and night, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it reminds me of that. It reminds me of that. It's like a sort of, um, yeah, a false slant on, yeah, I don't know. It's got a dancey kind of feel to it as well. It's just, no, I absolutely love it. I think it's, I think it's one of, I think it's one of the best false songs, actually. I mean, that whole album is really good. Certain albums where they sort of, sort of hits something. It's got Edinburgh Man on it as well, hasn't it? Yeah. A lot of this era kind of initially puts a lot of people off with the production and we've had a lot of chats about that kind of era but I think more and more we're coming to like accept that you know for all the scratchy post-punk stuff that we like early there's a lot of really nice stuff in this mid-period and a lot of those softer kind of gentler ones like uh, like this one and we had a we had the Sinister Waltz and a few others recently there this year and it's um, mm-hmm. it seems like he got into a bit of crooning over those like beds of synths and uh, it really it was really nice. That album as well, Rose, isn't it? Yeah, it's a sweet tune. Hamsters, we're going to get married. And so he is a bit like gentler on this album. Although you've still got things like you talk a lot of wind and you talk a lot of wind. You talk a lot about wind on, on this album as well, which is like, you know, I think it's about daytime TV or whatever. So he does, he does give a nod to it, but I can see what you mean. It's more refined. It's more sort of like he's reined it in a bit. Um, it's a bit more polite. And there, were, there was times where The Fall had to go at the mainstream, didn't they? I tried to, to do that, you know. Um, I suppose the closest they got was Hit the North. Did have, and uh, did he not have done the, the cover of um, The Kinks, Victoria as well? Yeah, we've talked about that on Victoria. And then we talked about There's a Ghost in My House, which they did as well, which got 
uh, the bottom end of the charts. But in terms of albums, um, the infotainment scan, which was a couple after this, went top 10, went to number nine. It was They had a couple of top 20 albums a bit after this. And this was on Fontana, I think, so it's a major label. So they were definitely there or thereabouts. Yeah, and then the next peak was, I suppose, when the when John Peel died, they got a bit of like um, bluster again. Yeah, uh, like they signed to Domino about twenty ten or whatever, and then they did a few albums at the, uh, towards the end. They got a bit more uh, of the spotlight again. Uh, so, what do you reckon to um, shift work the song? Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because this is, as you said, one of the periods which I'm least. Uh, historically least interested in and yet you find songs like this which are just legit fucking pop songs right it, it, and yeah you know this one is a real high watermark in that kind of bracket it it's like uh, i would say it's up there with bill is dead you know from the kind of swarming malevolence of the uh, B synthesizers coming in at the start. It's a real tour de force. Um, he's actually making a decent fist of tr- singing, as we traditionally think of it. And uh, lyrically, you know, it, it is re- well within his wheelhouse and one of those themes, which is work. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so moving for me, because I fucking hate work. It's fucking slavery. It's a prison sentence. It's disgusting. And... Fucking God bless Marky Smith for fucking talking about that and singing about it. This is a masterpiece. There's no two ways about it in my mind. Never did a bloody day work in his life, that man. What's he talking about? Well, that's it. You know, that's the idea. It's like, if you don't work, you're somehow fucking lazy. It's ridiculous. No one's fucking lazy. You know, I've yet to meet someone who's too lazy to feed themselves. They might exist, but I think they're very rare. And this is one of the big problems of fucking post-industrial civilization is that exactly. we've got to stop working. Pop star, it's not. Uh, it's not uh, easy as it sounds, Paul. You, you had a go, pop star. How was? How was that? Oh God. Um, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. You have to be expected to have hit singles. And, you know, I had the guy from fucking Tears for Fears breathing down my neck, but. <laughs> 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 I saw you on a thing with um, Mark, um, what well, the Quiff lad that was on um, uh, Shooting Stars, and he was introducing you. And um, oh, Mark Lamar, yeah, yeah. So you had to do a lot of that stuff around that that period. Yeah, yeah. No, it was nice. I mean, there was a period of about two and a half years or so where we were we had an eye on the the prize. But you know, the whole time I was quite cynical, thinking this is going to go seriously wrong. We just have to wait for that to happen. We just Part of it was just get as much stuff out as we possibly can before people work out that we're not proper pop stars. So. Um, but it's tricky. I mean, it's, I mean, if I start talking about it, I'd be here all day, and it gets quite tedious. But I think, I think it's, 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 you know, it's, um, it's about money. You know, it's about making money. Yeah, but it's, you put out some great stuff at that time. Me and Phil were talking about it a bit ago. Some great singles, some great stuff. Have you more or less just kept making music? you know, all the way through to today alongside the kind of comedy stuff that's come up? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to, there's part of me that would have kind of liked to, quite like to do a kind of fall thing and just keep going with the replicants and just sort of 
and you know, and at some points people will be bored to tears, and other points people will listen again and blah blah, and just be stoical and keep to it. But um, but it wasn't like that. We, we burnt ourselves out a bit, and everyone went and had families, and it just disintegrated. Um, and the Leg are a great band to work with. I mean, the Leg are sort of have a very strong sort of unique aesthetic and sound and I love working with them that new album I'm really so pleased with it made during lockdown um, the twonky thing is kind of just a, it was like a scrapbook really it was just me getting my ideas out there as best I could so it was always like a sort of side I saw it as a side project but because I was so consistent with it though it kind of like started to be seen as more significant as I was doing, which wasn't my intention. But uh, yeah, I'd rather be playing the Soho Fiat with Paul Vickers and the Legs. But it is delightfully daft. It must be fun. To yeah, do. no, it is, it is fun most of the time. But there is those days where you sort of think, oh my God, no, I'm just sort of, sometimes I think the puppets are sort of like, um, a substitute for a band, essentially. Yeah, I thought you were going to say against me because we've had a few ch- well, chats about really against me as well. We've, yeah. had, we've had a few chats about Frank Sidebottom. Al's a huge fan. We're all fans of, of Frank Sidebottom and Chris Seavey. And he, in, uh, similarly, yeah. he, he was he was a singer. He did a lot of stuff, and then the Frank thing came out of that. And at times, he, it seems like he may have resented Little Frank a little bit more than than that cardboard boy warranted. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is. I mean, I remember my ex-girlfriend looking at me one day when I was practicing. I was just sort of, she was annoyed with me and I was just sat there talking to my puppet, Chris Hutchinson. And, you know, she could see, like, she was just like, has it really come to this? You know, it's just... you've slipped, you know, and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, there is moments where, you know, you challenge your own sanity. But, um, That's what it's all about, surely. Yeah, well, you, to be honest, you just get so far down the road, there's no going back. You know, you can't sort of, no, I may as well just keep going now. <laughs> All right. Remember, well, that's what happened to Marky Smith. On that bombshell, let's let's move on to war. War, the uh, slap happy slash Henry Cow cover. Cheeky riffage, just when you least expect it. Ezra, war, what is he good for? <laughs> Research and development mainly. Anyway. I think you're right, Brendan. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, normally it's the first two tracks on the playlist, which are the ones which um, hit the hardest and cause the most um, turmoil in my mind when I'm choosing. But today it's the next two. Um, because this is also really excellent. It does what any good fall cover should do, apart from ones by the Kinks. 
uh, which is make me want to listen to more music by Slap Happy and Henry Cow, uh, which I probably should do. It, it's interesting because a lot of the tracks that I've heard so far off Middle Class Revolt are pretty turgid, but this really fucking rocks. And it doesn't rock in the way that you'd expect a fall track to. Um, I didn't get a chance to properly scope out the lyrics of the original or this version. So I'm not entirely sure what it's about apart from war. But yeah, it's damn fine. Sweet, sweet. Philip? Yeah, so I, I'm, I, I'm a massive fan of the original. And it's, I, I had a bit of a weird relationship with this song, really, because this was one of the first fall albums that I really got into because it's one that Wigan Library had on CD. So I, I got this out. And so I, I know this, I've got a soft spot for this album. Kind of forgotten about it when I got into Henry Cow and Slap Happy. So it's kind of like coming back to this song and thinking, oh yeah, I'd, I'd not realised it was a cover of, of that song because I sort of got into them the wrong way around. And anything Dagmar Krauss or, or Slap Happy or Henry Cow do, I'm, I'm more than interested in. And I'm, I'm really, I, I think Ezra summed it up pretty well, really. I'm really torn between these two songs because I think they're both magnificent. I think this is a double thumbs up fall cover because they do exactly what you want from a fall cover, which is they grab it by the scuff of the neck and they do their own thing with it. Even, uh, and I, I, I'd not realised until he pointed it out earlier this week how much he's mauled the lyrics and done his own thing with the words. Although I think it's, uh, it's very much in the spirit of that kind of slap happy approach to lyric writing. Plus, he gets to uh, revel in his love of all things Germanic. So I, I think this is really great. It's noisy, and like you said, it's the riff. The riffage when it comes in is a bit of a surprise, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how to hear it the first time round. But I, I've, I've grown to love it, and uh, I think it's really excellent. I think it's a really excellent tune. Nice, Alistair. About this, yeah, yeah, I really like it. Uh, the production's nice and rough, very good. Uh, I like the, like the pounding toms and then it goes into the uh, sort of like guitar riff that reminds me a bit of B-52s or something like that even though the Henry Cow stuff will pre that the, the noisy sort of drain-like sounds in the background very good uh, Smith sounding very commanding very authoritative reminds me a little bit of I don't know if it's a song Future World or if it's just like a song off the LP Future World by Trans Am I think that's the, like the tribal thing again with the toms in uh, in the production uh, and the, the little marching band snare sample thing in the, the beginning at the end was, it was also quite nice backing vocals as well brilliant uh, everything about it is is fantastic but it's not going through for me because it's a cover <laughs> oh that integrity alistair oh god Monsieur Vickers, what about uh, this for you? Yeah, it is. I've, not, I've not heard this one before. Yeah, it's very immersive. It's sort of it's, it's that period where I think I don't know what he was using, but like um, I remember seeing them live. I think around this time, but I remember when Bricks came back in the band very briefly. It was at that time, and I had Alassi was like um, queuing stuff in on what looked like an old Amstrad. Mm -hmm. So when I when I hear these kind of songs, I, so, I sort of partly think about the tech that was involved. I think, is this one of his Amstrad albums? <laughs> <laughs> Doing like samples on floppy disks or whatever, yeah. coming up with like really industrial sounding kind of soundscapes. 
because to me it sort of has that kind of harder edge to it um, so yeah I think my brother had this album but it, was, it, was a, it wasn't afraid to go down that way of you using all the, these synths and stuff it was there was no kickback it just little by little he, I mean they always had a keyboard player but he never shied away from bringing kind of more electronic stuff in from really quite early on yeah 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 and you've got that sort of, sort of a sample all the way through it sounds like it's going wow 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 kind of thing and everything he's obviously just distorted the hell out of a lot of it um, or someone has but um, yeah yeah I find this era quite difficult in places because it's so I don't know <laughs> uh, what does uh, Tim think over the uh, Philip so he's put one of the only good things about this album I love the pounding drums and the Wicker Man backing vocals sounds nothing like the original at all which is also superb and it's all the better for it Sounds like Mark hadn't heard it himself and he's just barking out his version of the lyrics. Really good stuff and pretty unique sound for the group. Yeah, I thought it had a bit of a Zappa kind of feel to it. You know, we talk, we talk about B-Fight influence a lot, but I think this one sounded a little bit more uh, Zapperish. And, and um, I like how he's fitting those lyrics into the wonky meter because I didn't know it was a cover at first and I was like just like when he was mashing the words into Sport Victorian Child I was like oh that's pretty good that you you kind of go in with this thing and then I listened to the original I was like okay well that makes a bit more sense but it's one of those things where they just don't transfer things they do once just do things once just do things once and they never do them again like the drums on Marky Chacha and stuff like that they don't it's like there's so much good stuff in this song that could have then filtered through in the next few albums but they just totally forgot about it and carried on doing this, the same shitty mid-paced kind of stuff for the next couple of albums yeah there's some growling kind of backing vocals buried in the back and it reminded me of the the yourself fitter one with Carl Burns is doing the growly backing because I wondered if he, if he was on there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, lyrics, uh, musician with gongs permeate the autobahn, fetus of disgusting breath, and she split the egg, cast a spell, and war was born. Russians sit back and laugh while war casts her gory locks over the deserted docks. Apparently <laughs> Smith met uh, Fred Frith early on, pre-Bingo Masters, and there was a rumour that he almost auditioned to sing for Henry Cow. But take that with a pinch of salt, as with every other fall story. But uh, oh, by the way, Phil, what does Tim Three think of shift work? Oh yeah, <laughs> he's put smooth and sleek, and all sanded off with no energy, like someone on bad drugs. I don't mind Mark's vocal overall, sounding more relaxed than bored, but I am not a fan of the sort of indistinguishable swell of sound that makes it sound like someone got their first reverb pedal and decided to turn everything into soup. Oh, you are. He has his, he has his uh, strong opinions over there, doesn't he, in, in the realm of the heretics. What time is uh, for a vote? So are we putting shift work through or war? Coming to you first, Ezra, which one? Shift work made me cry. War didn't. I'm, I'm going, I'm voting with my tears. Well, if war can't make you cry, I don't know what will. Philip? So um, this is this is really hard. This is a really... It's going to get harder now, isn't it? It is. These, this this point on. Go on with this. Tough life. Um, so I, I, I feel like, like Al, I'm a man of integrity and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with my principles of, of not um, going with covers, but I, I feel like I have to make some penance to that. I, I'm going to hopefully get my nose in front of Ezra and offer to the futures and pass on Henry Cow. Okay. I thought you were going to split your vote for a second. 
No, I'll, I'll go with shift work. Despicable. Um, <laughs> Alistair, we already know that you, from your own um, straight edge morals, can't possibly put through a cover. So I won't bother asking you. War is, is for me, it's the better song. Uh, so it. it is stupid. Let's embrace the stupidity again. Uh, and yeah, it is shift work. Okay. Oh, well. Uh, but there's still hope yet. So Tim 3 seems to be suggesting war. Yes. War wins for me. Even if it is a cover, it sits more in creative tribute side than the usual bland retread. So I'll give it the nod. Oh, he's even got a little uh, justification of his thoughts like they do on the chaser. Uh, Paul, which one are you putting through? Um, shift work, I think. And my vote, as usual, counts for nout, but I am putting war through. I thought we've not put a sing- we've not put a cover f- through yet. We've had about fifteen. They've all gone out, uh, mostly due to our ill-placed integrity. But this one was at least close. Moving on to Doctor Buck's letter from the unutterable two thousand. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> want it to end i don't i don't i want to play the whole bloody song go on i've got a request can you find that bit where he's talking about the amex card go on yes. please just i know it's uh it's uh a bit obvious but uh put the radio on oh, yeah. get the magazine out and read about the essence of tonga Checklist. I never leave home without one sunglasses. I wear them all year around and seem to need them more often. It's a habit. Music, cassettes, CDs. Three palm pilots. 
It's my lifeline. I think it's my PA's computer. She runs my diary and I download it. Four, mobile phone. Five, Amex card. They made such a fuss about giving it to me. But I, I spent more time getting it turned down. I was in the realm of the essence of tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Oh, all right. What does Tim Three think of this, Phil? He's caught one of all-time fall greats. The shambling groove with the squelchy-sounding bass synth and tippy-toppy drums, the inspired infections in Mark's poetry. The story of the piece is really evocative in an obscure way. I love the high bass two-note pattern that crops up here in the top class. Nice, nice. Paul, what about this one for you? Yeah, it's a good one. No, I like it. Yeah, I like the little keyboard parts and stuff in it. So, um, yeah, it's a real sort of grinder, isn't it? I mean, it's probably another one from the Amstrad series. I don't know yeah, if it's from. It's here. about 2000, <laughs> so he's probably like holding on to those floppy disks until. Uh... Yeah, yeah. The yellow sugar period. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See it like that. It was a little quiet little woman who looked like she worked in a library or something, making all the noise, from what I remember. So I think I that might have been Julia Adamson. She she joined around ah, that time. Okay. Yeah, she was actually uh, like around that period and going up. Uh, like this was kind of a bit of a lost period from about uh, from ninety eight to about two thousand and four, two thousand and five, when he had that bust up with the band and they you know they all he got arrested and they all uh, effed off. So Hanley had gone and and Craig Scanlon, the guitarist who'd done fifteen years, and Bricks had gone for the second time. And she she kind of uh, there's a lot of stuff around that time where she did some really good um, synth stuff and piano stuff um but this was the this was a huge uh this was the one that i remember everyone talking about at the time mostly because of that pete tongue bit but uh musically it's it's splendid yeah that crunchy guitar is and that synth bass got a bit of a, a dubby feel it's a bit dated now but uh of its time i think it's uh it's got a charm and um yeah i love smith's delivery i lost my tempo with a friend this guy is starting to get his growly stuff on that um and then you know they made such a fuss about giving it to me but i spent more time getting it turned down you know how many people would just crack up pissing themselves in the middle of the song and then just carry on and use that take only mez uh ezra what about this for you yeah, this is just fucking sublime. I mean, it, it's the moment where the fall bounce the unbounceable. It's just, I mean, they take a pretty cheesy template of this kind of like sequenced industrial music and make it fucking brilliant. And also, you know, like not dissimilar to shift work in that it's pretty fucking moving when you actually listen to what he's talking about, which is just feeling deeply hurt and sorry that he pissed off his mate um, and trying to um, just wishing for recompense in vulgar and arrogant abeyance, which is one of the best things I've ever heard, fucking hands down. And then, you know, the delivery is just fucking perfect. Like he's like, what is it? I get the magazine out, turn the radio on and I listen to, I listen about the essence of tong and it it's just this perfect like fucking mash of the fucking mundane bullshit of life and 
falling out, falling out with this kind of like fucking celebrity fucking sheen of shit that pervades everything. You know, that was taken from a virgin in-house rag, right? Virgin trains in-house rag. It's pure fucking magic. And then there's that beautiful boop, 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 boop. It's just fucking great. Yeah, love it to bits. A big win. A big win in your book, for sure. Philip, surely you feel the same way. I do. I think I just summed that up pretty well. It's, um, I, I really enjoyed that Adam Buxton interview with Frank Skinner, where they're, uh, they're sharing their the love of the fall and uh, some of Frank Skinner's reflections, which is where this, this song came up for me the first time when I started interrogating this album, really. And um, <laughs> if you brought down as a list all the things that are going on in this song and, and you sort of presented it, this is this is the idea, lads, this is what I want to do. You just think, what's this hodgepodge of stuff you've got going on here? But it just all falls together so beautifully. And it's like, it just becomes this magical moment, doesn't it? Where there's bits of found interview out of magazines and free magazines and you know, I do think it sounds of its time, but I don't think it sounds dated. I think it it, it sounds, you know, it's like something off um, off like a classic '60s album. We, you know, it's from the '60s, but it still sounds great nowadays. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, I, I put it in that category. So yeah, I, I love and adore this tune. I think it's amazing, and I'll never get sick of hearing it. Landed. That album, Unutterable, I didn't know very much about it until we started doing this, but um, nearly every track off off it is really good, crunchy and kind of dubby. And um, yeah, it's a really good album. Alistair, what, what does this one do for you? It does quite a bit, actually. Um, you know, again, I like the production. Uh, you mentioned the dubby thing, because it's like the bits where they're just bringing stuff in, dropping it out. Uh, so not like a shit king tubby time. Quite like the, the guitar on it, which is like again dead sparse. It's, it just drops in, drops out, and it's got like a kind of uh, uh, can feel to it, something like you do right or something like that. Um, and it also reminded me a bit of Gorillas, uh, but I think that's probably again down to uh, the production. But yeah, spacey synths are pretty cool. Um, sticking bits in the red so you get like clean bits in there with a, a distorted mix, so it gives it kind of a bit of a yin yang quality to it. Lyrics fucking and dead funny. Kind of done in his, his sort of like rap style uh, rather than a, a singy style. Really liked it. Good one. Splendid. Is that everyone? This is the time in the yeah, evening I where I start to forget who I've talked to. So when when Tim Three was on about the uh, the the bass note bits in it, I think there's something about the Falls' ability to drop in what is essentially a very cheesy guitar technique that's been killed through overuse. The, the use of harmonics. And they've got a great ear for it. There's there's another example coming up later in the playlist where it's, it, I think they've just got this really good knack of using those types of, even like preset sounds and knowing exactly where to place them in a song. So it, it just sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. This is a, it's absolutely splendid. Let's move on to Cheatham Hill off White User Syndrome, 1996. Choose to cruise about 
Let's leave this to me. Um, so, then the, the raid cycle the siren comes in, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, good, nice. And then it turns into like the theme tune from like bottom or the or the young one. Has like this really cheesy, bouncy. And then it's, who the fuck is that singing? I'm like, this is not. That's not okay. Okay, Bricks can do a bit of backing vocals, and occasionally we can have someone else sing the odd line. But not having this, this is unacceptable. But then Smith saves it. Well, almost saves it. I want you come from Cheatham or Cheatham Hill. Is um he does cowboy mark. He says, and that and that like, and this London visitor had this to say. He's obviously heard that on Granada reports or something. He's just he's just taking the piss out of that all the way through. Yeah, it's a game of two halves. I think when Smith's on the mic, it, I really love it. And then the rest of it is this cheese fest. Alistair, what do you make of Cheetah Mill? Yeah, it started off kind of like standard with a bit of noise and then it kind of develops. Kind of like the way it does develop, though, instead of it just being a bog standard predictable kind of thing. Like noisy disco uh, with a northern slant to it. Yeah, a grieve of progression, piss takey falsetto vocals, quite like that in the uh, suburb of, of um, that kind of shit <laughs> also appeals to me so yeah it's, it's uh, one of those that, that, that puts a smile on me first nice I saw as it could be a follow up to shift work where the shift work has forced this man to go on the prowl for um, ladies of Cheatham Hill and he's driving around but uh, you know maybe <laughs> I'm projecting Paul what do you make of this tune <laughs> Um, it's a bit of an odd one because I, I mean I, I don't mind it but I don't know if it's like classic I wouldn't describe it as classic fall um, it sounds like he's a wee bit at a loose end and that lad I don't mind that lad singing but I think he's obviously just thought oh just get that lad in that'll fill up a bit of space and then I'll come in and do my usual thing if it has that kind of feeling to it it seems a bit sort of laid back like he's took, took, his, took his foot off the gas a bit and sort of um, just doing it by numbers a little bit it doesn't sort of and if I necessarily hunt it out it's like one that I would go back to if you know what I mean but, um, but it kind of does it does enough to keep you interested you know things keep happening um, so yeah yeah, while it's on, it's it's a fun listen. But um, yeah, that, this album again, like usually, you know, that's more where Bricks came back and she had another pop at it. She had a choice between joining Hole and rejoining the Fall, and she went with the Mark over Courtney Love and um, just did that one album. It's quite good, but this isn't this isn't really what the rest of the album sounds like. We've we had a lot of love for some of the other stuff on there. But uh, Philip, what uh, what does this one? Does this tickle your beard? It's a bizarre hodgepodge of a song, this, isn't it? And it's, it, it, it teeters for me. Every single time I've listened to this song, I think it's just teetering on the verge of becoming shit, but it never actually crosses the line into shit. It's, it's like a, um, there's, there's like half-assed Beck country dance going on with it and in some of the way that the guitar and the electronics 
comes together. I think I think they they do uh, they do Virgil making Brown at times in, in terms of uh, the story last week. And um, country dance is a is a is a bizarre territory to get into. And I think to even hint at that is shows both bravery and stupidity in, in equal measure. Um, and then it's it's got this kind of blur park life vibe going through it as well. There's there's been a bit of <clears throat> fake Brit popping going on in in some of the tunes. And then the chorus is amazing. <laughs> the chorus is brilliant. I, I think it really works. Even the even the um, the, the double vocal thing seems to they, they really pull it off from the chorus, and I, I think it's incredibly catchy. The uh, which is what a, a pop song should be in terms of chorus, but I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. That's my take. Yeah, you to like it, Phil. It's not all. It's not all fun and games in the rock and roll business. Ezra, what about this? Is this acceptable? Sirens are always acceptable. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's nice. He sounds really chipper. Um, the yeah, the weird other vocals are also okay. Um, it's um, yeah, you know, it, it does it does the bare minimum, and that's enough when it's the fall. Fair enough. And what about Tim Three? Is he there? I think the lines. I think we've lost we've lost the line to the other side, but it's okay. We'll get him later. Uh, but it's time to take a vote. Are we putting Dr. Buck through or Cheetah Mill? I think this one might be a little bit of a of an easy choice. Alistair? Yeah, Dr. Buck, please. Fair enough. Philip? I am going to go with Dr. Buck, unsurprisingly. What a surprise. Ezra? I lost my tempo with a friend. Right on. Paul? Dr. Buck, yeah. Nice. And uh, we didn't hear what Tim thought of, uh, of Cheetah Mill, I don't think, did we, Phil? Tapping through the rice paper. He says, don't like this at all. Cheesy and trashy with really annoying lyrics. I hate the fake talky parts. Makes me cringe. And I've not managed to full listen through this week. Fair enough. Well, He's gone with the I'll, book. Be, I'll be docking his pay for that. But um, That's rhubarb this week. Fair enough. Gone through. Dr. Buck goes through. Hooray. We'll get to hear that again. And we never have to listen to Cheetah Mill again if we don't want to. So yeah. what? Whatever else this next song is, Touchy Pad, Touchy Pad, a.k.a. Preset. can we tolerate this you tolerate this well you know what happens listen phil 
you're um, you're a sexist, right? You didn't like that woman singing on this song, and you don't you don't think women should be allowed to sing? Is that right? Both got pregnant in the kitchen, pal. That's what I'd heard. Tell me more. <laughs> I I've got a really really I couldn't get past her vocal in this at all. No, it's when and I kept thinking about that famous Led Zepp live song where he goes and my tears they fell like rain and then he leans into the microphone and says which is so cringy and embarrassing that he asked them to cut it out when they remastered that live gig and the studio engineer refused which i think is a, is a good thing um so when when he sh- he shouts something about a scream and then she screams down the, the the microphone i just i couldn't i couldn't bear that and it's it just grates me all the way through however i think the music which is this it's a really sort of strange blend for me of of like um jeff buckley and and sort of math rock emo kind of playing i thought it was excellent i think the music is absolutely brilliant and i i, I loved um the the fact that it was a very fresh and different kind of music for murky smith to be singing over the top of and i think he does a really good job i think the, the lyrics are quite interesting and it's it's a fairly decent song but <laughs> it's another one of those gavin friday moments where it's the it's the other voice that it just doesn't sit very well with me aesthetically or emotionally or spiritually in fact he does seem outside of the members of the band when riley or um, bricks is singing he does seem to have some like weird choices of roles he gets to sing on his songs like the last one and then like the woman on this um i got used to it after a bit i quite liked what she brought to the track but i really love the backing and i love the fact it just starts like it's already been going on for like five minutes and there's just a bunch of presets playing and it just it just starts um and mark gets more and more growly as he goes along <laughs> and um <laughs> Something about um, Welsh kids and Asians with weak bones and um, a decaying castle. It's hard to see what, where he's going with it, but uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful mess. Alistair, do you like this one? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on. Ezra, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I do like this. I like it a lot, actually. You know, it, it, to me, I, I just have this kind of, it, it's like if, there were, if it was in a musical or something and, you know, Mark E. Smith goes out to the pub and meets this strange lady and they get shit-faced together and on the way home they both start serenading a fucking lamppost and you can just see them you know like bathed in the glow of the lamppost screaming at the light and yeah i found it rather affecting and i do really like the lyrics what i got from here from the lyrics is ai that's too much price and save the money yourself and buy some uniforms from the retired custom official, your lousy country stinks anyway, shop London, Welsh kids, your slime leaks and mixes with the tentacles of the old ones. So, you know, if I was a subscriber to QAnon type business, I would draw a lot of very, very, very unsettling connections from that. Thankfully, you're not. So I've everything's sweetness and light. And we haven't had a Lovecraft reference for must be 20 minutes. So it's good that he managed to put one of those in, in there. Uh, Paul, what about uh, this one? Touchy Pad. I like the title, Touchy Pad. I mean, that's a good fall title. Provocative. Touchy Pad. So I think, oh, that's going to be good. Um, it is a bit like sort of free songs. 
battling with each other and you're not quite sure which one's going to win. Kind of refined, raw, um, bit of a mess. Um, not the best one I've ever heard, but like after hearing the lyrics read out, I, um, I like it more. <laughs> <laughs> Although it makes me wonder what what the sort of what sounds like the sort of urine of, of Welsh children is doing to sort of affect the world. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I suppose you, you you would call like a, a tablet or an iPad, so touchy pad, you know. So I don't know. Maybe something evil with that. Around that era, you started writing a lot of songs about technology. He's got a couple about Facebook and some about other types of, of stuff. So it, it probably is him just having a rage. Is his old uh, ZX81, it's no longer yeah. working or whatever. Yeah, the Amstrad will be broke. Yeah, Amstrad, bloody Amstrad. Alistair, did you want to ex- expand more on your earlier comments or are you happy with those? Well, I just thought it was a load of dog shit, really. Um, <laughs> really, really boring drums, boring guitar, boring bass. The only saving grace is the vocal. Noted. And uh, what does Tim 3 think? Because he already told us, I can't remember. He said, a weird one from a weird release, but one I love daily. I love the deranged female vocals and the ramshackle mix. The simple descending synth is irresistible. It sounds traumatised, utterly unique in a way I don't understand. I I understand it. It sounds like the cure. That's that's probably why I don't like it. That's probably why I don't like it as well. (laughs) There you go. We've, We've come to an agreement. I'm sorry, that opinion is both incorrect and unacceptable. Moving on to the last song of the evening, Contraflow, from Real New Fall LP 2003, formerly Country on the Click. I think he's actually saying I hate the countryside, but when you Is said, to, oh, right, yeah, okay. but the other day when you said to me, he's saying I love the countryside. I, I thought that was delightful, and since then I've kind of imagined when I've listened to it that he's actually saying that he's a big fan of the countryside. Oh right, see that's what I was taking from. So I've totally misunderstood. <laughs> he's got a whole range of songs about how he hates the countryside so much. It's much nicer and better if he loves the countryside. Well, yeah, I always thought he hated the countryside. This would have surprised me about it. But it sounded to me like he might have got off the bus somewhere because you think of him as being a city man, really, don't you? Yeah. You imagine getting him off the bus and then for an hour and a half he's somewhere in the country. It's like, this is actually all right. Writing it down. I love, like, I, I, I love, I love this the countryside. <laughs> I'm just really into it all of a sudden, but then he'd be back straight on the bus. Um, but yeah, oh well, I've totally misunderstood the song, but I like the fact that all of a sudden he was enthusiastic about the countryside, um, which seemed out of character, right? So that's kind of what I like. I think you could argue he's being enthusiastic, just not necessarily positive. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And he references Buxton as well. I can't, I can't imagine Marquis Smith having that good a time in, in Buxton. <laughs> um, 
but I don't know if it'd be his sort of parish, really. But um, I mean, Buxton, I think Buxton's quite a lovely place, but you know, I don't think there'd be enough edge there for Marky Smith to get his teeth into. Um, so maybe he's just completely angry. But it's quite a good tune, though. It's sort of, you know, it's 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 very sort of, it's got a bit of grit about it, but it's also, in a way, quite poppy, really. It's quite sort of t- together. Um, yeah. But I am upset now that I've misunderstood for not for the first time I often misunderstand well you know I live to ruin people's days so for me I've got a bit of a thrill from that apparently it's about picking up his mate uh, the, the lad in the band lived near Buxton and then he just he, he just um, obviously did not like the contraflow in that area but um, ah right okay so maybe it's a specific part of the country and he was still undecided on other parts um, he's he, he's flipped back and forth. He's put a few hints in songs here and there. Where he might be softening up to the countryside, but now he's, I think he, he's he's come down on a side in in two thousand and three. Still time, still time for him though. Phil, what do you make of Contraflow? I really like it. I, it's um, it reminded me about the driving actually, the um, the music of it. And the, the reason I was, I, I mentioned about the harmonics before is because this is another harmonic technique on the guitar, where it's, um, whereas the, the first one, I, Tim Three had said it was on the bass, but I, I don't think it is. I think it's artificial harmonics on, a, on the electric guitar on the first one, on the on Dr. Buckstock. Whereas this is more that sort of, um, uh, the, the artificial harmonics you can get on an electric guitar when you when you ramp up the distortion and it gives it that kind of very angular, pingy sort of sound as you as you play what would normally be muted on an acoustic guitar. I love that stuff. I, I absolutely adore it. So anything that uses that in, in, a, in a good way with lots of energy and I think you've just got back doing what he does for uh, urban-rural relations, haven't you? So... Uh, I, I, what's what's to dislike about this song? I think it's fantastic. Exactly. Ezra, what's to dislike about this song? Surely nothing. Well, you may say that. Um, you know, what a, as a rural boy myself, I really love it when uh, Marky Smith rails against the countryside. But this didn't quite hit the, hit the sweet spots that uh, It's Hard to Live in the Country did for me. And I think it's mainly the production. Like I, I've got a bit of a bias against math rock in general, and and it just sounds ramshackle here. Um, and yeah, it's lacking some kind of punch. I mean, I, I did go on to listen to the Peel Session version, which is better by a country mile and rather nice. Um, but yeah, we're talking about this version, and this version I don't like very much at all well i'm sorry that uh, this has disappointed you Hesra. but uh, pill version is on the table as well any version you can find is on the table alistair come on tell us the truth I remember the uh, the broadcaster, the, the Peel version. I think we got it on mini disc somewhere. But yeah, it's, it's got a nice groove for the chorus, lots of lovely feedback for the verse, some all right guitar effects used. Um, and as I mentioned in the uh, bunker earlier in the week, it reminds me a bit of the uh, Sonic Youth cover of My New House. And I think some of that is the sound of the guitar. Actually, just the riff a little bit as well. The rhythm's different, but you know, what is essentially coming out of the amps sounds reminiscent of it uh, but yeah it's, it's, it's okay it's uh, it's not dog shit uh, so well done I praise indeed so um, very nice and what he's tapped through the furniture 
today on this song is a real chug and churn keys won't fit another absolute classic and i like the treatment given to mezzi's vocals and the squealing feedback straightforward no nonsense feels like it could just cycle forever between the different variations another cherry on the rnflp cake of goodness blended well let's have a bit of a vote shall we final vote of the evening paul i'd like you to go first are you going with touchy pad or contraflow Oh, we've got flow. Good, good. Philip? The, yeah, the same, because uh, I'm sexist. Good. Don't, don't go changing. Ezra? Uh, if, like Paul had said, Paul said uh, he'd been singing I Love the Countryside so much, I would have gone with Contraflow, because yeah. I think it's just wonderful to imagine that. But that's not what's happening, so I'm going with Touchy Pad. Listen, it's open to interpretation. Smith deliberately didn't write these down. Alistair? Uh, I'll go with uh, with Contra Flow, but uh, Phil, what's wrong with being sexy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what about Timothy over there? Where's he going? He has, uh, he's put a real close one here, but I'll have to go for Touchy Pad by a whisker and admit that Contra Flow maybe doesn't deserve to be knocked out as a result of my ineffable attraction to Touchy Pad. I'm also going with Touchy Pad, which puts us at the uh, at three and three. So... Impasse. An impasse. So here's what we do. You hold up. I'm going to say the name of the song. Give me up to three fingers uh, for that song. First song, Contraflow. Give it a score out of three on your fingers, if you don't mind. Okay, good. We got five and a three and a zero and some more zeros. So that gives it eight points. And Touchy Pad. That's a three and a three and a three and a four. So that is 11 I was in, I've given you a zero, Alistair. You can all listen back and see if my mathematics is correct, but touchy pad goes through. <laughs> Hooray. So what that means is Joker hysterical face, shift work, Dr. Book's letter and touchy pad against all odds have gone through. I'll check and see whether that's actually true and tell you next week because <laughs> I can't really remember. But... We'll have to call it there. Paul, thank you very much for coming along. It was delightful to have you. Yeah, nice being here. It's nice to spend time with men who are interested in the fall. Exactly. And we, <laughs> are, we are. I'm sarcastic. <laughs> you usually have to spend time with women who are interested in the fall. We haven't found many yet, which is why this podcast has been exclusively middle-aged men. But, you know. Yeah, no, they do exist. They do exist. And we were happy if you're a female fall fan out there, or any fall fan. We're happy to have you on. And you're made that gives fall lectures. Maybe uh, if he wants to come on one day, that would be brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll get, I'll get in touch with Roger. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah no. okay. Best of luck with everything, and uh, have a good day. And the rest of you chaps, have a good one. We'll be back next week for a bit of a special. And uh, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.